Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, lead mentor here at the Knowledge Exchange, where we run online courses and online mentorship. Check it out at tkex.org. We've got a couple of live online courses happening end of this year, and we also have our self-paced BPS course. So if you're looking to learn how to apply pain science principles and communication skills like motivational interviewing, check it out, tkex.org. Today, I am joined by Superstar EP from The Biomechanics, which is a clinic attached to the Knowledge Exchange. He is Michael Fermer. He's got an awesome experience and story. Keen to dive into some topics today with, in regards to NDIS and work cover. So, Mike, you keen on taking the Superstar title away from Lauren? I'll take it from Lauren, but I won't wear it. Um, it's a bit, uh, it's it's a bit much. But uh, I'll I'll take it for the moment as long as it uh, rubs Lauren up the wrong way. I'll I'll wear it and I'll run with it, mate. So they'll say that my head's already big enough to can't even get through the elevator at work. So might have grown a couple a couple more inches after that comment, mate. As as a someone who's of youthful stature might say, mint. That was mint. <laughs> That's very good, mate. Very good. I, I really enjoyed that. I'm sure that'll get a couple of laughs. <laughs> awesome, mate. So for those who don't know you, Mike, what's your story? Um, yeah, cool. So thanks for having me. It's uh, a bit of a pleasure to be on, on something like this and to sort of let people know what my story is. So that's cool. Starting out of high school, if I go back that far, year 11, uh, going into BCE, did not have any idea what I wanted to do at all. As most people do at that age, they're, they're really just spitballing and don't know where they want to go with, with life. And I was one of those. And uh, somewhere through like that decision-making process I, of my subjects, I, I fell into the idea of PE or sports science. So I saw that course that the universities were offering and I'm like, oh, okay, that, that sounds pretty interesting. I want to go down that pathway. So... Got there, uh, went and studied down at uh, Deakin in Burwood, uh, did my undergrad down there. And uh, after the three years, or whilst I was in my three years there, um, did my final year placement at, uh, in the VFL. Towards the end of that, I was kind of thinking of elite sport as most people were. So as in most people who do sports science kind of sit there and go, all right, some form of elite sport is the pathway and and that was me to a T. I, I played a lot of sport growing up and and loved it and loved everything about it and thought I really wanted to get into that so spent my final year placement at the VFL in um, in Melbourne and where I went from there was it kind of it was a great experience I loved it and, and, and really enjoyed it but at the same time it, it sort of opened my eyes to me not kind of wanting to go down that pathway just because of how unstable it can be and um, I had done quite well at that placement and was potentially being offered a role through at the AFL. Um, but then the unstable nature of football in particular, where the, their coach was uh, getting sacked. So essentially, they, the staff members who were offering me the, the role kind of said, hey, look, unfortunately, this probably isn't going to happen. Uh, we don't even know if our own job's safe. So that kind of opened my eyes a little bit to how cutthroat it is in terms of, hey, if, if the team's not performing, you're, you're pretty much out as well as the coach. So I kind of fell away from that idea and, and finished up my course and went in PT for a while, um, just at one of the local 24-hour uh, gyms and was out on my own, just kind of trying to set up and 
doing what most people do outside of that sports science degree, which is that qualified PT role and going out and doing that and did that for maybe about a year to a year and a half and kind of got a little bit disenfranchised with it, didn't really want to be doing that sort of thing for too long. But at the same time, it was a good experience nonetheless. I think looking back, I wasn't as skilled up as I thought I was. Uh, I didn't really do too much on hands um, personal training when I was studying. And it's something that I look back on and probably should have gone down a pathway of and made sure I was getting experience while studying, which is something that is really important for anyone in that position. So after that kind of year and a half, I, I did what most 20, or how old was I, 22, I think, 22 or 23, and went out and found myself, went on a, went on a holiday all the way up to uh, America and just said, no, nah, I'm taking some time off here and really reevaluate where I was at. And got back and I was like, okay, I, I, I want to study again. I wanted to do something more. And originally the idea or the plan was to get into secondary school teaching. And that, I kind of looked into that a little bit and found that it would have required another undergrad. And at that age, I wasn't really prepared to go and do another undergrad. So I kind of reevaluated again and was like, okay, what can I do within the industry uh, that I'm already in? Which mark, what masters can I go down? Do I still go down the high performance sport route or do I do um, the clinical rehabilitation? And I, I settled on clinical rehab at VU. So started doing that. Again, uh, really sort of opened my eyes to a whole heap of different things in that position because I, I was one of the, one of the good, good students there and, and really was a studious individual and, and made sure that I learned everything that they told me. And then I guess by doing some of my own research and chatting to a few people in the industry as well that found that, hey, there's a big, bigger, bigger picture here and there's a, there's a few other things that we're not really getting taught that led me to kind of question a few things and want to learn more. So, yeah, I met Luke along the way there who he was kind of came down and did some subjects at the end of his course that was crossed over with me. So... He came with a whole vast amount of knowledge that I hadn't heard before, and I was like, "Why don't? Well, why don't I know this? And, and why have I not been exposed to it within the university learning structure?" And from there, it kind of piqued my interest. I'm like, "Okay, I want to learn more." And I actually did a placement at the biomechanics and learnt from both Brendan and Luke. And, and from there, kind of finished off my course and then fell into the first job that I could find. And I think that's something that I. I Again, looking back on, I probably should have taken my time with what I wanted to do straight out of uni because I fell into a occupational rehab role. So I was working as a occupational counsellor, essentially, um, or consultant per se, and did that for six months and kind of didn't love that for the, the first uh, three months of it, but kind of kept pushing on because I knew that I could do it, but it was more of... I didn't have that clinical background or that clinical experience to have an influence on some of those people's rehab. And essentially, I became a little bit clearer in what I wanted to do and wanted to be more involved in the rehab process than what I was within the work cover or the occupational rehab role where you're kind of uh, help, helping facilitate that process to a return to work as opposed to working with the client to reach their goals to get back to work. It was more hey, I'm, I'm just here to try and get you back into a role from what your treaters are actually saying. And I think without having that clinical experience, I wasn't able to put forward 
some of my ideas that, I mean, now that if I was to step back into a role like that, I'd be a little bit more confident to maybe challenge pathways and, and challenge a few things that, um, or the care that people are getting and, and making sure that they can get back to work and can reach whatever goal that they've got. Um, so from there, I the job popped up at the biomechanics and I thought I'd, uh, I'd apply for it. And yeah, and then that's where I am now. So I've been at the biomechanics now for about two years, I think. Worked both, chopped and changed between both jobs for about uh, another three or four months and then moved uh, all the way all over to my current role, which is uh, working as an AEP at Biomechanics, which thoroughly enjoying. I'm not sure the other people around the place will say that they're enjoying it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's good fun. And I'm, I'm now enjoying being able to kind of help people reach their goals and facilitate their rehab pathways. Awesome. So it's going from the elite sports world and figuring out how much of a dog-eat-dog world it was and, and how insecure as well, as well the job opportunities can be into the work cover rehab space where you had a lot less autonomy and, and I guess influence over someone's journey to now going into more of that clinical role and into now also some ed education because I know you wanted to be a, a teacher back in the day. So it's you're combining both loves of the, the clinical coaching as well as the education, it sounds like. Yeah, spot on. So I kind of, in that process of deciding what I wanted to do, I got to the point of, all right, well, if I do want to teach, what can I teach? And I mean, well, PT, personal training or, or being in that sports science role after that degree, it's it's teaching exercise. But what there was obviously more to getting people better. I wanted to go down that way of helping people recover from things and, and being able to teach them things. So yeah, as you said, kind of combining the two and, and saying, hey, all right, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this stuff. Why don't I help uh, educate those that need it within an injury or chronic pain type pathway? So yeah, gone down that route and here we are. I wanted to touch on a little bit of your experience and, and looking back as well, what you know now with regards to, to pain science and regards to helping coaching people towards their functional goals and capacity. If I, uh, if you are working at the moment with clients in work cover or, or if you were giving advice to clinicians working in that space, in the op rehab space, what would you, what would you tell them? Uh, well, I think it's still really important to make sure that we, we hear the client um, essentially. Um, I think a lot of the time within that space, people can just become another, another number or another case as they, as they put it. And they, they fall into that pathway of, Oh, I'm, I'm, in this work cover space or in this in this area and the end game is i need to get back to work but is that truly what their goals are like i think in a patient-centered kind of care we still need to make sure that the person's being heard and if there's other things going on say if it's, if it's a parent and they're really struggling with their children like not being able to pick their children up or, or whatever that is that let's just start there let's just go for something that's meaningful to them to kind of get them back on their journey and make sure that we are just hearing the person as opposed to um, trying to meet these goals that are set by other companies or insurance companies to say, hey, we need to get this person back by this time and whatever it is, I think we, we still need to put the client in the driver's seat to an extent and say, hey, where are we and how can we help you get back to what you need to be doing because your, your health is important to make sure that you can actually get back to your job and do it as uh, as you were prior to the injury. So um, I think that's still extremely important to make sure that 
we're putting them in the, the position that they feel heard and they feel in control because sometimes within that space they can get a little bit thrown around from A to B to C to D. I, I know a lot of people that have been to multiple, multiple practitioners, pain clinics and different doctors and all this sort of stuff. They go to three or four IMEs and it gets quite difficult for the, the client to really sit there and feel as if one, they're being heard, but two, feel as if they're actually getting any better. And I think if the end game is to get people better, we need to do a better job of that. And if it is changing something like how the certificates are written, like I mean, when I was working there, the work cover certificates were written about everything that the client can't do. So it's like, hey, they shouldn't lift over this, they shouldn't bend, they shouldn't do that. And it's like, okay, well, is it as easy as just changing some stuff like that, saying, hey, you've got clearance, you can you can now bend down and pick up your grandchild or your, your son or your daughter and giving clearance like that to be like, okay, you can take control again and start process, like improving yourself essentially. So, I mean, I've been out of that role for a little bit now, so I don't know if that's changed. I really hope it has, but um, if it hasn't, I think it's something that can be looked at. It's quite easy to modify something like that, but at the same time, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a process. So yeah, that's, that's where my thoughts are on that. But I think, as I said, putting it in the driver's seat and saying, hey, how can we help you? Yes, it's more than just the the outcome of return to work. It's it's their meaningful goals, and and we need to listen to their concerns and and their priorities as well. It's it's very difficult when there's external pressures and deadlines and and stakeholders, and especially when there's a, a team behind them that are probably giving them mixed messages. So it's a it's I feel like it's a, a lot of work to work in that system but I can definitely see that the value and the positives that can come. And if we just reframe a few of the approaches, like you said, if we go into what the person can do versus what they can't do, that can be a step towards the right direction. So we're all working towards getting them back into, into life, which includes obviously getting back to work. Yeah, definitely. I think um, something that you, you mentioned before was how would I now, now with how I've kind of developed as a, as a, a practitioner and understood a little bit more, more about how to assist people in, getting to their functional goals or whatever and understanding about the pain science and all that, how I do the job differently. I think, I think I, like there's a lot of things that I'd change. It, it's a fine line, obviously, in that role between being someone who is a rehab consultant versus being their, their sole practitioner. Um, so they've obviously got practitioners around who are assisting them. And then it's like, okay, well, if, if I had a different idea as to them, I wasn't in the position to be like, hey, I can't just sit there and, change their treatment pathway it'd be all right i need to sit there and work with the physio or work with the like whoever their training practitioner was i'd have to sit there and work with them and i think understanding more now like i've got the confidence now that i'd be able to go back and do that and and change the way i was working i think when i was there i was uh, again straight out of university i just don't think it was the right timing to do a job like that I think I think it's really important to get some clinical experience before you move into something along those lines so yeah I definitely changed some of the things that I did when I was working there so I think it is really important to look back at things like that and say hey if, if I was to be in a role similar to that again what would I do different and that definitely one of them would be now that I've got the confidence to maybe challenge a few people's uh, pathways I'd, I'd go down that way and, and kind of say, hey, we can we can help this person get better in maybe a slightly different way. So, yeah, it's, it's hindsight, I guess, uh, but it's kind of led me to where I am now. So 
can't complain too much. Yeah, exactly. And the the idea that you now have more experience and understanding of the clinical side of things, you can then step into that. It's more of a consultancy role where they're overseeing the process and the treatment pathways. So I think that's that gives some hope for those working in that space, listening now, that they can actually have some influence and they're not just another clog in the system and they're not just punching in numbers. I wanted to move on to NDIS because I know you have a lot of clients in that space and see a few of the highlights on the biomechanics Instagram page, which is awesome to see. So I wanted to know how you incorporate that person-centered approach in, in the NDIS space. Yeah, definitely. With, um, with that stuff, it's, again, you, you, you treat them just like every other person. I think one of the first things that you learn within the NDIS space is you, you treat anyone on NDIS exactly as you would any other person. So it doesn't really change the, the type of care you give. It's just uh, it's slightly different about things that you need to be aware of in terms of the condition itself. So I, I work with a lot of intellectual disabilities and or learning difficulties. So I think for those group of clients, it's really important to just understand how each of them individually learn and individually actually understand the exercise or understand the movement that they need to do there. What I do try to do is make sure that I learn something about the person anyway and figure out things that they enjoy. I've got a couple with Down syndrome that love dancing, just absolutely love it. So I promote that as much as I can. Um, I just say to them, look, if you're doing your exercise and you want to dance, go for it. It's like, I don't care. It, um, it puts a smile on their face puts a smile on my face and I think that's half half of it half of it is is just making sure everyone's in an environment that they feel as if they can express themselves as best they can. And then if you're moving into other types of conditions that I work with being like MS, cerebral palsy, along those ones it's more again, nothing really changes. It's it's hearing them and what's really meaningful to them and what they want to achieve. And that's what we work towards. So not too much changes in in the face of making it person centered because it, it shouldn't, like it should stay the same. So we shouldn't have to think about treating or doing something slightly different because of the condition or whatnot. So yeah, just try to learn the individual first, I think is, is my, my take home from that is if you understand the person, you're gonna be able to use that and make sure that they're getting the best quality care you can, you can give, so. Great, so once we can work with the, the considerations and circumstances and conditions it's all about their goals and what they value the most and then I love the creative ways that you can implement exercise in, in that space and especially now with telehealth for yourself the ways to uh, capture attention and make it fun and engaging do you have any examples of, of those kind of tips and tricks with with telehealth or in, in general with creativity yeah definitely I mean with the um Current stuff with some of the telehealth, I know that it, it's quite hard to keep them, keep some of my clients like on task, especially if they are, uh, they do have a learning difficulty or, or whatnot. So um, I've got one client that if I just say the word concentrate, straight away they just concentrate and they, they get it done, they, they stop talking and they go, all right, yep, got to do my exercise. Other ones I've used as simply as I know within Zoom, you can share your screen, you can just put a a basic timer up that's green for go and red for stop and it's as simple as that that stuff and they can use that as a visual tool to help my actions so if i'm doing something with them or if i'm just saying putting my hands up and saying stop again it's it's 
understanding what works for each individual. So if one, one thing works for one person, it might not necessarily work for the next, but there's some stuff I've used. Uh, with, and if I go on to that, what I was talking about before was some dancing, like within the clinic, we were able to do that easily with music. Now I've just figured out through Zoom, we can share music through our, our screen. So, I mean, if you want to take a dance break during this and I can put some music on for you if you like, and we can dance, I know you enjoy some, um, some dance breaks, mate. So we could always give that a go. But I did that yes, uh, on Monday for one of our clients that absolutely loves Michael Jackson and all the old school nineties as well. And I tucked that on and a couple of songs came on and I, I, I just let her dance. She was, she was off and she's moving. She's exercising. Her aim is to just manage weight and diabetes. And it's like, okay, well, you're moving. That's awesome. Like, it brings a smile to my face. I was caught out dancing in the screen as well. So I think uh, that, was, that was good fun for her too. May I look forward to seeing the footage of the firmer fist bumps to Michael Jackson? No, we'll try to keep them on the down low though. I mean, if you throw a cheeky TikTok song on, I'll, I, might, uh, I might bust something out. But um, the fist bumps are put away for the moment. It was so 2019, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe even a bit bit behind before that. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the the music festival days with the shirts off, love it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I use especially with some of those ones with the educational difficulties. I try again. I try to see where they're at with things. Like I've got a couple of clients that um, are still in school, and I just figure out what they're what they're actually learning in. I had one of my clients who was learning odd and even numbers and I'm like, all right, easy. This is simple. I can try to help her understand her schooling through just if I said to her, Hey, we're going to do 35 reps or whatever it is. And I'll just be like, Hey, is that odd or even? And she'll sit there and she'll think and she'll learn and she'll learn in other aspects of life. And, and that's a, that's a really good way to, that I found that I can connect with a client, but then also make sure that they're, achieving what they want to achieve. Obviously they're in school and they're learning. So I, if I can help facilitate that, I'm going to help facilitate it because it's something small that they can achieve as well. So uh, yeah, I, I, I use that, that little tool as well. and just try to, it's just another way of building rapport and just understanding the client. And if and they see that and they, again, a smile to their face, if they get the answer right, oof, probably not getting them to exercise anymore. They're pretty chuffed about the fact they got the answer right. So love it. It's a, uh... So you're caring enough to find out their whole story, their whole experience and their life outside of that 30 minutes to an hour that you have with them. And it's, you're going through that holistically rather than just focusing on, again, a function. They're, they're more than just a, their conditions. They're a person. That's great. I, I wanted to ask in terms of working within that space, what are some of the, the challenges? So I, I know, for instance, looking at their, their funding and making sure that we allocate funding sufficiently and space out sessions. So that, so looking at funding might be a challenge, but what are some other issues or concerns within that set, that system? Yeah, well, it's, it's quite a new system with that stuff. I mean, it's still in its infancy really. So the funding stuff's gonna eventually get a little bit more consistent and people are gonna understand where they can use that. So we just help facilitate that in any way, shape or form that we can, whether it be with us or whether it just be, hey, look, I think you can use it for something different. You can use it in that sense. Like there's no um, no pressure to be doing one thing over another. It's just making sure that they understand what they can, uh, can use it on. Other than that, I think, again, learning and communicating and just being able to communicate with each different clientele member. I deal a little bit with mental health, um, so like bipolar and even depression and anxiety and things like that. And 
again, music's a good tool with that. I've got one client that comes in that loves heavy metal music and she literally won't talk to me until I put the heavy metal music on for her. And I mean, I hate it. Karina and Shane love it, but I'm not nowhere near any of that. But like, that's a challenge to, to understand, again, understand each person and know how you can get the best out of them for that 30 minutes or an hour. But then the mindset's a big one too. So I think for people who have been or been dealt some significant life challenges, their mindset or their, it can be quite low or low, low moods and really struggle to see the positive out of things. And I think I've, I've really tried to use a few things to my benefit to help them or my, sort of my tool bag essentially to assist them in kind of changing or shifting that mindset. So I heard a good quote and I'm going to steal it. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me stealing it, but he's, this was in relation to elite sport and his battles with trying to get into elite sport. Whereas for me, I've tried, I've used this quote and kind of used it with my clients who, who are experiencing chronic pain and or post-stroke post challenges. And they come in and sometimes they, they, they are quite down and quite struggling to find a reason to kind of be where they are. And it, it's kind of the old adage about glass half full, glass half empty. It's like, okay, we can either be really positive or really negative with, the, with our mindset. But why can't we just be grateful that we've got the glass in the first place? So it, it's not so much about what's holding, uh, what, what the liquid is inside it, but hey, we've got this great glass that we can actually hold liquid in. So we should be grateful for the fact that we've got that. So I think that's one powerful way that people can just understand how a slight shift in mindset can actually change the output of, of their results. So it's like, okay, well, if we can work on that in conjunction with just some functional gains and, and really shifting a small thing, a thought process like that, then hopefully that we can see some achievements quicker or sooner. And yeah, I just, I try to assist the, those with that kind of idea of, hey, we can, we can see this in a different light. We can really try to look at that a little bit more positively and try a different tact. So I think that's been a little bit of a battle when, I have a few a few people come in and it's like, okay, what, what do I do to help shift the mindset? And I think that's that's one of the battles. You do see that as well with your general population person too. So I think it's something to that can be used within any client base. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, mindset. I think it's a powerful tool that we can use to help achieve what we want to achieve. So Yeah, it's the similarities between what we talked about with claimants in the in work cover and what they can't do and that's what they're focusing on versus what they can do and we see that parallels with ndis with people with persisting conditions chronic pain where they it, it's very easy and human and, and common to focus on what someone can't do but instead we're coaches to look at what they can do and, and looking at all the ways that we can work with their constraints and uh, and loving all those creative tips that you, you gave us there mike i wanted to to dive into your own experience of, of pain. I know you, you had a story when you were traveling. So keen to, to hear what, what was the story. I do, I do. Very, very good one, this one. It's helped me understand my clients a little bit better, but also understand the process of how we learn as humans and what we do. So I never thought I'd be in this position, but it was. So or two a year ago, yeah, nearly a year ago to the day now, to be honest, I was jet setting off to Europe and the week before I went away was deadlifting a relatively heavy-ish amount and hurt my back. It just kind of came out of came out of nowhere really. And that week it recovered quite well. I wasn't too concerned about it, it wasn't too significant, but um 
yeah, by the end of the week, it was fine. And then Pat got all ready to go on the trip, got on the trip, got on the plane, did the old hold for 23-hour trip or whatever it is over to Paris and got to Paris, put the bags down in the room. As you do, go away, have a cheeky beer to celebrate the fact that you're in Paris. And that night went to bed and woke up in the middle of the night excruciating pain and I was like, oh, fuck, I've got to go to the hospital. Like, my first thought process was shit. Like, what the hell is going on here? I just realised I've sworn three times in two seconds, but awesome. Um, <laughs> and I, my, my thought, first thought process was, nah, I'm, I'm buggered here. I, I really need to go to the hospital. Even though that I've got all this experience with knowing how to deal with my own symptoms and giving people sort of the, the education that I've got is that my first process was, nah, like, uh, this is way too much for me. I need to go to the hospital. And... I couldn't roll around in bed. I, I knew like I knew nothing was wrong because I hadn't done anything to create any more tissue damage. Like I had, I was fine on the plane. Everything was fine. And so then I got I got woke up in the middle of the night. And that was it. And I, I thought, okay, let me just calm down here and and figure out steps here. Like Madeline was laughing at me because she was helping dress me essentially, and she's like, oh, you know what to do. Why are you why are you like this? I'm like, oh, I don't know really, but. Took a couple of anti-inflammatories, kept walking. Couldn't couldn't just sit in bed all day being in Paris, so made sure we kept walking and moving around. Two two or three days later, and it was all good as gold again. And um, yeah, it just kind of made me sit back and think, hey, like I can use this essential story to some of my clients that are experiencing this pain. This is the same the same thing that some of them go through, where they can have such a sharp increase in their symptom and not have had done anything physically intensive and have an increase in pain. And it's like, okay, well. How can I use my story to assist those and let them know that I understand where they're at? And I, I've used this story in consults because I know that it can help help our clients feel as if they're, they're not alone. Um, and we as practitioners also experience some things that are quite significant in nature. So uh, like I, I use it to my benefit to kind of build some rapport and make sure that I can help the client feel as relaxed as they can and, and really know that hey I, i've been there too type thing to some extent and yeah it was an interesting time i won't forget i won't forget the first day in paris i'll say that much oh wow it's it's such a common human experience to experience that pain and and we get all the the panic buttons shoot off whenever we're, we we experience something like that as significant as that so it's it's normal for for the mind to go through the catastrophizing thoughts and the ruminating and the, oh shit, I need to go to hospital. Oh shit, I don't really know much French. Oh shit, like where is the nearest hospital? I can't even move to get my phone, to get out Google Maps and yeah, all that stuff. So it's, it's great that, that we can have these real lived experiences and then reflect it back and, and in a way can be validating to someone to hear that these things are very much human and, and common. And yeah, it, it can open people up into expressing themselves and knowing that they're not the only ones. Yeah, spot on. I mean, you mentioned there that I wouldn't have known any French if I went to the, the hospital or whatnot, but just even getting some anti-inflames was an issue. We didn't even know what they were all in French and we had no clue. So it was a stab in the dark essentially and yeah, it turned up all right. I don't even know what I had to be honest. Well, you're still alive today, so it must not have been too bad. Mate, I wanted to hear a bit about your clinical practice and some of the stories that you hear. So some of the, the narratives that you've heard from, from clients, 
if you could look back on some of the least helpful ones you've heard, which ones were they and how did you manage them? There's a few, there's a, there are a few. I mean, there are the, the really common ones that you still see around people coming in and having been told with not to bend over with back pain and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I did have a, a recent experience where someone came in and wasn't picking up their child because they've been told not to bend forward. And it's really, that's really common. It's a really common one that you vilify a movement and then that gets extrapolated out to a whole heap of different other like things that shouldn't even be thought about. And that's, that's one that's quite, I won't harp on that one too much. I think we know, we know about that one and we're, we're trying to, a lot of people are trying to change that narrative and make sure that we can freely move with that. But a couple of others, osteoarthritis and osteo, uh, osteoporosis are two big ones. The, the old addict around osteoarthritis being that wear and tear uh, of the joint and people being afraid to move and not wanting to, to keep wearing away cartilage. And yeah, that, that's a really unhelpful one. Um, it's still quite difficult to try to change that mindset or change that story. But uh, myself and Lauren actually had the opportunity to sit in with um, David Butler and uh, Felicity Braithwaite in some of their work. and. They're doing a, a study. I don't know if it's out yet or not, but um, I won't say too much about it. But it's more about understanding that within osteoarthritis there is inflammation, there's education or information. So inflammation, information, and then adaptation. So we go from a position of saying, "Hey, we've got this, all this information now. What do we do with it?" We know that a whole heap of different things can influence our inflammation of our body, and it's like, okay, well. Is it just movement or is it diet? Is it this? Is it that? What is it? How can we control it? We understand how we can control it. And then it's, okay, how do we adapt to it? And how do we use exercise and movement to help build resilience and get people to feel as if, hey, I've got confidence in my body again, instead of sitting there and being scared and being worried about wearing away their, their body. It just it, It's quite a nasty thing to think of. And I think that that's one narrative that I feel that does need to change and it slowly is, but I think trying to find a way that it can uh, sink into some clients or, or become easier to understand for clients is something that's important. With um, osteoporosis, you see the main one around people being quite worried about jumping or worried about doing things that could potentially fracture and fracture the bone. And we know that, hey, if we want to build bone density, we do need some sort of impact style exercise. So it's, it, it is trying to get them, again, education around, hey, we do need to do something to help the bone grow or maintain what bone we've got, so, or bone density that we've got. So I try to, again, education is the key with that stuff. It's providing them an easy way to understand it. And then from there, developing some really small, simple, easy tasks that they can do that can increase impact. And it can simply be as, hey, just half raise up onto your toes and slam your feet down. Like you don't need to jump, just slam your feet down. Simple. Same with their arms, is to your arms up against a, a wall and go up onto your fingertips and slam your palms down. Like it's, it's quite, quite a simple way to try to increase some really small levels of impact. But if they can do that and then they feel safe doing that, then we can start progressing to some, some jumping or some landing and, and building the confidence and resilience. So I think the main thing with those, well, within clinical practice where we, we are trying to stop vilifying movements or vilifying things is, is all around that education point of 
learning or understanding the client and how they're going to learn best to take on this information and then use it within their daily life to make sure that they can get the best benefits out of it. Yeah, great. So using information to de-threaten their prognosis and their worries and concerns based on the narrative and maybe having low expectations that these narratives will be eradicated from the face of the earth anytime soon. So having some skills and tools ourselves to know how to handle them is, is, is vital. And so wanted to go on to more of a positive side with some clinical wins of yours. You can highlight some of the, the biggest wins in the past few months for yourself. Yeah, cool. Um, uh, I, I received a text message the other day, which was quite, um, quite great that I heard it actually. Like it was one of those days, I mean, being in Melbourne now and you only get your one hour of freedom per day. Um, I went out for my little stroll around the block or whatever I did and it started raining on me and I was having a terrible day and I'm like, no, that's it. I'm, I'm staying home. I'm not going anywhere. Thrown in the towel. Um, but then I got home and I got a text from one of my clients who had an auto autoimmune condition when he was a little bit younger and lost all function and, and was really struggling to walk and had to relearn all that sort of stuff and relearn uh, fine motor skills. And he messaged me and doesn't, he doesn't often message me unless I kind of reach out to him. So, and he texted me saying, Hey, I ran my first three kilometers on the treadmill. And I'm like, well, like that made me, made me so I was pumped. I was so happy because the, the week before or like, two weeks before we were talking about, hey, what do you want to get out of this? Do you want to, what, like, what's your goal? And he's like, I want to run three kilometers. I'm like, cool, well, you're going to have to try and run three kilometers to know if you can run it. And he's like, oh, he'd laughed at me. And I'm like, okay, well, you need to let me know when you try it. And he tried it and did it the first time. And it's like, all right, now we reevaluate and say, how fast do you want to run that? Or do you want to run further? And yeah, so we're in that process now. And that was, that was a really cool one. Um, he makes me laugh all the time. So I was really pumped for him. I had another client who had some chronic dislocations and had a hip surgery. She's quite young and um, she was given clearance to ride her bike and she started off just riding it up and down the driveway essentially. And I had got sent a video of her doing that and it was amazing just seeing that. But then this is over the last couple of, couple of months and um, she rode nine kilometers one day out of the blue. I'm like, what, what? Like, she's like, yeah, I rode nine kilometers. I rode all the way to get an ice cream from down at Williamstown beach or wherever it was. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And she's like, yeah, it was so cool. And her mum was pumped and everyone was happy. And then, all right, cool. What do you want to do next week? And she's like, well, she wanted to walk around the block because she's still trying to build up some walking endurance as well. And anyway, I got, got into the next telehealth the next week. I'm like, oh, Hey, what's going on? What's news? And she's like, Oh, I rode 15 kilometers. I'm like, what? Like what's going on here? And she's, she was just ecstatic because she rode all the way to get the ice cream and then rode all the way back home. And I'm like, well, that's 18, but we won't go there, but 15 K. And I was like, loved it. And that brought an absolute smile to my face because she's an absolute legend. And it was awesome to see or awesome to hear about just simple, small wins of seeing people step up onto a box they've never been able to step up on without assistance of I had helped out one of my again NDIS client that wasn't confident enough to be stepping up on a 45 centimeter box on her own would always look for that um, helpful hand there to, to assist her and I just kept pulling my hands away and just trying to again just learning how she learned so I just kept pulling my hands away I'm like no you have to do it and just kept pulling away she did it and she stood up on the box and she yelled out at the top of her lungs saying, yes, I did it. I did it. And that was amazing. Like that was 
I guess it's something as small as that. They're the ones that I, I like I hold really highly. Brings a smile to my face every time you even think about it. So yeah, real, real simple ones, but in the grand scheme of things, really important to those people. So I try to facilitate that as best I can. And that's it. And that's, that's one of the things that I took away from, from your recounts. You didn't say anything that you did. It was all about your clients. So maybe I, I need, you're right. We need to retract the superstar status <laughs> into your clients. And, and I think that's, that takes, it shows your humility and your caring and your, your passion that when you are satisfied most, when your clients do the wins, it's not about, not about us as clinicians. It's about the people that we work with. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if, if they're happy, I'm happy. So again, it's, you mentioned caring there. And I think that's a big thing. I think people need to be able to understand how to care for others and, and have empathy for other people and just be able to sit there and be like, all right, well, how can I assist this person? We're in healthcare. How do we help people? And if it's as simple as understanding a person and then trying to facilitate whatever they need, that's what we do. So I think it's, it's, a, it's an underrated factor in, in what we do is the fact that we need, you need to be able to care and you need to have to care for people in order to one, feel just happy with what you do as a person too. Like I feel as if, if I'm putting my clients' needs first, that's me caring about them. And I try to make sure that I can do that to the best of my capabilities whenever I can. So yeah, I think that's a, a major thing that we, we, need to, we need in our role is to is easiest just to care for people and be human. Mike, you are an inspiration and so good to discuss some of the real work that you do on the front lines of clinical EP practice and get you out of the shadows a bit of, from the discussion group into our podcast. So thank you so much for sharing your experiences and for those who are keen to find out a bit more about you or want to contact you, where, where would they go? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if my contact details aren't up. I don't think they are up on our website, but uh, I'm on the knowledge exchange group. So um, that my, the email is just michael at thebiomechanics.com.au. Yeah, happy to help out with anyone that's in a similar position with working with NDIS or just want to pick my brain about a few things. Always happy to help out. So Great, Mike. I'm keen to see the future Instagram fist bumps to Michael Jackson and the dance moves. I'll put it to our I'll put it to our social media team, mate. I'm sure she'll have an absolute ball with that one. But uh, well, thanks for having me, mate. It was an absolute pleasure.